Amen. The book of James. We'll be in James chapter 1 today. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to James chapter 1. It's going to be at the very, 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 very end of the New Testament. I want to give you a little bit of background on the book of James and who James is. Um, he is Jesus' half-brother. So, uh, yeah, there's that. You can imagine um, Jesus had all the uh, My Kids are Honor Student stickers, and James is, well, I'm, I'm James. Um, what you may not, may not know is that Mary and Joseph had at least seven children. We know that there were five sons and at least two daughters. We know one of these sons is named James. John chapter 7, verse 5, tells us that when Jesus began his ministry, James did not believe that his brother was the Messiah. That's probably one of the greatest points of belief for us. Because in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul tells us that not only did James come to believe that Jesus was the Messiah, but he also became to be a leader in the early church movement. And he was one of the first martyrs. It was that James's conversion is one of the reasons that I find evidence in the claims that Jesus is the Messiah. Because let me ask you this question. What would it take for your sibling to convince you that they were the Messiah? Satan? Probably. The Messiah? That's a whole different ballgame. It, it, it was the power of the resurrection that James witnesses his brother be crucified and then be resurrected and come to life. And then all of a sudden he's like, you know what? <laughs> I think he's on to something. I think this is the Messiah. And he begins to proclaim that. And he begins to be this leader in the church. The resurrection changed James's mind. And so here we are years later. And James is writing this book. And this, James is a book that takes on practical wisdom of Jesus. So it takes all the things that Jesus had taught us. It's very practical. And then he gives us some application of, here's what you need to do with what I'm writing. So it's a great guide in, in small chunks. So if you're, if you're a person that's like, you read the scripture and you feel like, I, I can't digest all of this at one time, James is a really good book. It gives you very powerful, very key points for your life, but it breaks it down to make it very digestible. So here's how he begins. In James chapter 1, verse 1, he says, James, a servant of God of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes who are in the dispersion. Greetings to you. I want to I pause right there because I find something very interesting in the beginning of his, of his book. He says, James, anybody remember what the next thing he said was a, a what? Now, he says, I'm a servant of God. Now, who's his brother? Wouldn't you have wanted to play that card? I want to make sure you read what I write. So, I mean, I would have been like, hey, uh, James, brother of Jesus, um, in writing you this letter. But he chooses something very interesting here. James says, James, a servant. That word in the Greek is doulos, which means I am serving out of free will because there's something I want to give my life to that I want to surrender to. And so when he says, I, I am James, I'm a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's saying, I am a bond servant. My relationship with God is the most important thing about me. It's not about who I'm related to. Don't, don't give me credibility or don't listen to me because my brother is Jesus. Give me credibility and listen because I am a servant 
I'm no better than anybody else. I am a servant. And then he says to the, that, that not only is he a servant of God, but of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is placing, there's some theological happening here, he places Jesus on an equal level with God. Now this is something the Jewish people had a hard time doing because Jesus to them was just another rebel who had been crucified and they tried to erase that story. But James is bringing it back in for a Jewish audience of saying, listen, I am a bondservant to the Lord and of to the Lord God Jesus Christ. Jesus has the same authority and is equal. He is equal too. Right? So he, so he starts off in just these few sentences of, of stating who he is. And who he is is a servant who believes that his brother had the same equality as God. Then he goes to say this in verse 2. He, he kind of changes like really quickly, right? So I'm a bondservant, but now it's almost like he gets this new thought in his mind and he says this. I want you to count it all. Say this word with me. Count it all what? Joy, my brothers, when, when we meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Now, count it all a joy when you go through trials. Think about the last hardship that you had. Was the word joy in your vocabulary? Did you think, oh, Jesus, thank you for letting me lose this job. I find so much joy in being unemployed. Or, God, there is so much joy in this broken dynamic of a family. This is wonderful. Let's celebrate it. I'm going to bake a cake, and we're going we're to have a good old time. Anybody? I didn't think so. Because... When you go through trials, he says, you've got to count it all joy. So whether it's persecution, if it's pain, if it's relational frustration, marital tension, career disappointment, maybe your kids have gone away from the church. He says, whatever it is, you count it all joy because the trials that we go through in life are tests. And these tests produce good things in you. How many test takers do we have? Like you enjoyed getting the test in school. All right, y'all are the ones that ruined the curve for everybody else. I remember, um, and these are the tests that I hate, when, when your employer says, you need to watch these training videos. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Anybody raise your hand, had to watch these training videos? And, and you saw the last one, and the acting was like horrible, and you, you couldn't pay attention. And so I remember I was watching these training videos, and I was like, I'm just going to hit play on it and just let it play through and then it'll get to the end and I'll click that I watched it and that was very pastor of me and and I clicked it and it got to the end and then it said question number one and you can't go back and rewatch the video anybody have those moments and by the grace of God and through much repentance and this one had the screen locked so you couldn't go Google I passed but I learned a lesson don't skip the video because there's a test. It's going to be a test. And, and, and tests are made to reveal our weak spots. What, what it, we want to know that you know. We, we want to go through tests so that it reveals the weak spots in our knowledge. What more do I need to know about this? And I haven't learned yet. But tests are also opportunities to deepen our knowledge about who God is. Like it's, it's in these moments where we go through these trials, where, Paul, where, where James is saying, I want you to count it all joy because it's in these moments that we really learn who God is. 
We, we learn about his character. We, we begin to see things and experience things through a different perspective, right? And so he says, that's what trials and difficulties are doing for us. When we go through these, they're, they're deepening our knowledge and they're filling in the gaps of our understanding. Not to make us better, but to make us more like him. Because we serve a God from Philippians who suffered and we join in the suffering with him. Now, when I was growing up, we did not talk a lot about trials in the church. This is not something that, that we wanted to do. And in our Western culture, we have all these conveniences and all this prosperity, and we can do all these things. Like, and when the moment that life hits, we're all out of sync because that's not normal for us because we're taught in our world, in, in our little Western culture, that life should be easy, it should be filled with happiness, it should always be full of joy, and if it's not, then you're not living your life right. Is that the message that you guys hear? Because that's what I hear. That everything should be good. And you know, as well as I do, that it doesn't matter how much technology we have, it doesn't matter how much resource we have, that at some point in your life, your heart's going to be filled with disappointment and heartache. It's coming. I was talking to a guy the other day, a pastor, and he said, I said, how's it going? He said, man, it has never been better. And I didn't want to be the guy, but I wanted to be the guy because I didn't want him to come across, uh, get to that mountaintop and then find out there, there's a dip in the valley. And, and he's like, I am, I am so good. It's been so good for so many months. And I said, I don't want to bust your bubble, but you need to watch yourself because you're going to come over it and it's, the attack's going to come. When it's going so well, you, you're going to get attacked. It was like the air just left his body, like, oh, after all these months and finally getting it where we need to go. There, there is so much that happens when we go through trials and, and struggles and pains and heartaches and disappointments. Am I right? Am I, am I talking to anybody this morning? That there's a place that we get to, to where it doesn't matter how rich you are or how poor you are, none of us are exempt from the tests of life they come and they come in different forms we've all taken different ones in different different areas some some may have been due to our financial some may have been due to our relationships some may have been due to drug alcohol abuse we, we've had all these different tests that we have taken and the bottom line is this is that as James is writing to to this group of people encouraging them that in the middle of trial count a lot of joy and we would say this is, a, this is an old writing, but I think as much as we look at society today, we probably need this instruction even more than James's original intended audience. Would you agree with me on that? Because we've gone through some things. We're going to go through some things. But here's the difference as a follower of Jesus. As we go through some things, he goes with us. He goes before us. He goes behind us. He goes above us. He goes below us. And he goes around us. We are fully, fully protected by him. So I want to look at these next six verses here in James. I want to give you three commands that we need to heed as we read through the book of James. There are three commandments that he gives us here that will give us strong warning. So here's the, here's the first thing is, is perspective, your perspective, the way we see things. Counseling is 95% helping people see their problem from a different angle. This is why when you, you have issues, you need to go talk to somebody about your issue. Because when you're in the issue, you don't see it. Think about it this way. You buy a brand new house. 
and you notice every little thing on the house, every little scratch, and, and you've got magic erasers for days. You've got Clorox bleach and everything else for days because if it's you got paint you've got stuff you've never had before in your new house making sure that every little thing you notice every little mark but over time what happens you don't notice it and then people are over at your house and it's like hey did you did you realize you had a hole in the sheetrock right there right because over time our perspective shift and we lose sight of what's right in front of us and so james says this in, in verse two you know, you got to count it all a joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. So joy, again, is not the word that we think of in the middle of a trial. It's not the first thing that comes to mind. I remember sitting beside my grandmother's bedside when she was taking her last breaths, and the word joy never popped in my mind. There was anger. There was pain. There was sadness. There was loss. When my granddaddy passed away months later, it was the same thing. And the word joy never popped in to my mind. But James is saying even in those situations that, that we, count it, we count it a joy. Because I, when, I, when I'm going through suffering, because I, I often feel like in the middle of trials, I, I feel anger. I feel like this is unjust. This isn't fair. Why did I deserve this? Why did they deserve this? Why was this person able to get away with that? You, you ever said that one before? Why were they able to get away with it? God, where are you? You may feel despair. Things are going to change. And everything is so far away from joy in those moments because you, you hurt. It's a trial. One of the hardest things to do in your Christian life is learning to trust God. In the silent times. There, there are moments that we can trust Him. We believe in Him. We can come in here and we can worship and we can get all built up. And we can go out there and, and, and fight with a water pistol the gates of hell. Like we're, we're, we're pumped. We're ready. But then there's moments that when the tragedy hits and we feel like God's silent and God is not speaking. Anybody been there? It's really difficult sometimes to live in that space where you feel like God's not speaking. Like I heard him. I heard him on Sunday, and, and I heard him when I went to my life group, and I heard him when I went to my D group. But then, like this situation has happened, and I feel like I do not hear him at all. Those spaces in your life is where you often feel that God feels absent. Have, have you ever felt in a moment of trial, suffering, pain, where is God? Anybody? It's it's painful, is it not? And you're looking, and you're trying to find any glimmer of hope. James says, if you don't see it, your perspective has changed. Your perspective has changed. It reminds me of the old story of the couple when they started dating. He had an old pickup truck with the bucket seat, and she would sit right here beside him. Everywhere they went, she would slide on over to the bucket seat, and he'd put his arm around his girl, and he'd drive his truck around town. And they get married, and she's still here, but 20 years of marriage, she slowly starts moving to the other side of the truck where now her arm rest is on the window. And one day she looks over at her husband and says, I don't understand how you've become so distant. She said, honey, I'm driving. I've never moved. You've drifted. That's our relationship with the Father many days. 
then we go through these trials and we don't see them, we don't have the proper perspective and we lose hope and we lose ground. And then we're like, where in the world is God? But He's not the one that moved. It's us. And so you got to get, get this perspective. This is important because joy is not a feeling that will overcome you. Many people are waiting on, on a moment, I just want to feel better. I want this, this emotion just to kind of take over me so things will be better. And that's likely not going to happen in many of the sufferings and the pains that you've gone through. Joy is a byproduct of believing the promises of God in the midst of what you're going through, in the midst of your pain. So you may feel the same going through the trial. There, there will be despair, there will be hurt, there will be pain, and you will feel the same. But when you know the promises of God are in your heart and you begin thinking on those, your mind will be elevated to a peace and a joy above your feelings. So you're, you're overcoming the world. Remember, he says that you will overcome the world. There is an overcoming the world. God has called you not to a joy in the world, but a joy that overcomes the world. There's a big difference in that. Not to have joy in the world, but a joy that will overcome the world. So that when we hit these trials, it looks different. It doesn't mean that we, we hide the pain and numb the pain and pretend like it never happened. What we do is we get a new perspective and see it through the lens of our Father. We, we live it the way that God has called us to live it. So you, you got to have a perspective, a godly perspective, but you also need to have patience. Now I probably lost 90% of you right there. Because when things go bad, we want answers. Not tomorrow, but like today, <laughs> right now. And there's a patience. Look, look what he says. So he says, count it all the joy when you go through these trials. But now he says, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Trials do not automatically produce good fruit in you. It takes time. Unexplained pain produces bitterness and doubt and despair. But you've got to choose whether you're going to trust and hold on to God's character or you're going to hold on to your emotions of how you feel in the moment. You've you got to choose. And you've got to have patience. It's a transformation that happens, but that transformation that God wants to do in our lives is not automatic. It takes time. Because remember, this is a test. And this test is exposing this trial. It's exposing our weakness and, and giving us new knowledge to trust Him even more. This is why there are people that go through some of the most traumatic pain you could ever imagine that have a tight-knit relationship with God. And you're looking at them going, what in the world? There's so much peace with them. It doesn't mean they're not struggling on the inside. It doesn't mean, again, that they've swept it under the rug. It just means that they've taken the problem to God and they're seeing it through the, the, through the, the lens of Him. And they're being patient, trusting that He is going to answer. Charles Spurgeon says this, that times of doubt are like a foot is posed to go forward or backwards in faith. So he, he's saying that there are times when we have doubt that our feet either go forwards or backwards in faith. This trial can indeed take you further with God, but it can also drive you backwards into disbelief. You've got to make a decision. Am I going to take steps of faith trusting God through this situation, or am I just going to take steps backwards, which is going to lead us to unbelief? And it's going to take us into places when we step forward that we don't have the answers to the questions, that we, we don't know. It reminds me of this story about this little bird. 
He was flying south for the winter, but he got a late start. So because he gets a late start, this little bird gets caught in a snowstorm. And the storm was so bad that ice began to form on his wings that he couldn't even flap his little wings anymore, so he couldn't fly. So he went down for a crash landing. And he couldn't get back up, and he thought, great, now I'm going to freeze to death. But then suddenly a cow came and dropped a cow patty right on top of him. And at first, a little bird thought, things have gone from bad to worse. But then he realized that the manure had warmed his wings, and he began thawing them out. And he got so excited that he started to chirp and to sing. But this attracted a cat. The cat comes along, and the cat ate the bird. And here are the lessons from this. Number one, not everybody that dumps manure on you is your enemy. Number two, not everyone who digs you out is your friend. And number three, when you're in manure, sometimes it's just good to keep your little chirper shut and let God do what God needs to do. Sometimes when we're in the manure, it's best just to be quiet and see what God's up to. Just to trust that he's got this. James says, let steadfastness have its full effect. Let God do his work. There's time that you just need to be still and be quiet and listen. And you may not get an answer. But what you will get is the presence of God to know everything is fine. You have got to learn how to rest in the character of God. And the only way to know the character of God is studying the scriptures to see that he's a kind, loving, graceful, merciful, forgiving father who has my best interests at heart. He wants what's best for me. He created me. He's knitted me from my mother's womb. He knows everything about me. So therefore, God, I've got to trust that he knows me better than me. And we forget that. And so James is, is trying to encourage us here is that you're going to have to rest in the character of God. You're going to have to have that perspective, but you're going to have to be patient and trust. And by the way, some of the things that you're praying for for an answer, you're probably not going to get it on this side of eternity. That answer might be revealed to somebody else later on this side. You just got to be patient and trust that God knows more than we do. You, you got to understand that you're going to have to anchor your soul in God's character and let God do what only God can do. And let steadfastness have full effect in your life. I'm just saying, I just need to pause here for a minute and take a breath and ask him, what are you doing? Where are you at? Sometimes it's the most important question you can go through. When you, you can ask when you're going through any kind of an issue is, God, please show me where you are. Just show me. I don't even want, you don't even have to speak to me because your presence enough lets me know it's okay. It's fine. He says that, if you will, sit still, listen, let steadfastness take its full effect. Only then, he says, that you will be made perfect and complete, lacking in, you remember what you'll be lacking in? Nothing. You'll be lacking in nothing. That's good news, right? That, that we'll be lacking in nothing. He says that only through perseverance and suffering can you be made perfect and complete. So if you want to be made perfect and complete, you got to have suffering that that will come 
And we have a lot of people in here who sign up for our different Bible studies. You'll sign up to be in a D group. You'll sign up for our women's group. You'll sign up for a men's group. You'll sign up for a life group. And you sign up because you want to learn more about the Bible and you want to be in community with each other. But I'm, I'm just going to go on a limb here. If I told you today that we had a brand new sign up, it's a class on how to suffer and actually go through suffering. We're going to suffer together in this class. How many people are signing up today? Like we're physically going to take you and we're going to let you suffer. Nobody's signing up for that class, right? And if you are, we're going to pray for you after service because something's wrong. Or you have gotten to this place of, I trust God in everything. Nobody signs up for the suffering. James says that there are dimensions of God that you will only know from suffering. Because you will only know it. Think about some times that you've gone through heartaches. Did you pick up any new friendships during that time? Did you realize that there were people that you thought were in your life that really weren't there when you needed them, but there were those others that were there that you never thought about before? When you go through sufferings, you learn these things about God, of where He is and what He's trying to do. and It's really about shaping you more than it is the situation. And there's a part of the Christian maturity that only comes through pain, that only comes through darkness, and it comes through unanswered questions. Martin Luther says it this way, is that three things that make a great Christian are prayer, Bible study, and suffering. And we'll take the prayer, we'll take the Bible study, but again, we're not signing up for your suffering experience 101. So the question is, do you want to know God more than you want to avoid pain? That's a hard question to answer. And if so, you're going to have to learn how to count it all joy. Not the, I'm not counting the situation joy, but I'm counting it a joy to be able to get closer to my Father. I'm counting it joy to be able to know Him more, to understand Him more. That's what I'm counting a joy. That's what we do when we go through trials, and then we let this steadfastness have its full effect. Now, you get your perspective and get your patience. The other command is you need to be one who prays. You've got to be a prayer. Because he says in verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, I think that's probably all of us, right? Just being sure that. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. Before we move on to the next verse, let me give you something. That's good news right here, by the way. God will help you. All right, say that with me. God will help you. He'll give you the wisdom. He'll give you the direction. He'll give you insight. He will give you whatever and other resources that your soul needs to draw you closer to him. No problem. He's got it. But there's a condition. All right, a lot of people like to read that verse and go, God's all for me. But there's a condition. But let him ask in, what's that word? Let him ask in faith without doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not, uh, must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. When James says without doubting, he doesn't mean that you don't have questions. Questions are good. I don't know why we've gotten away from it in our society that we're not allowed to question anything. We question all things. Give you a little homework assignment this week. 
Go breeze through the Gospels and read a little bit. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And I want you to tell me how many times Jesus answered a question versus how many times he asked a question. I'll give you a little hint. He answered less than 10 questions in the New Testament. He asked hundreds. Now, now why did he ask questions versus answering them? Because he was making people think, owning it for themselves, learning. And James says, doubt's not a bad thing. Like we need to, we need to have those moments where we want to know when we ask questions. But he says, you got to ask in faith without any doubt. That you're not going to be in a point where you live all of your life in absolute certainty that this is good. Like, I'm always going to be joyful in these situations. There, there's going to be moments where you're going to be shaken and rattled and you're going to have to be brought back in because that's our, that's our bent. That's what we lean towards, right? And he says that every Christian will struggle and there will be times that they're going to struggle with doubts and confusions. And I find it interesting what James is saying here is as you go through trials, that word doubt means like psychos, right? It means die, which is two, right? And then the psychos is, is the minds. So it's, he, what he's saying here is, but let him ask in faith without two minds. And what, what, is he, what is he trying to, to get us to understand? Think about it this way. Our loyalties are divided. On Sunday, we pray and ask God to fix our problems. But on Monday, we take matters into our own hands. Right? On Sunday, you say, God, I need you to work in my marriage. I need you to work in my life. God, I'm trusting you. But then on Monday, you punish your spouse. You try to manipulate them. You make them feel unjustified. And you, you, you make them feel awful. On Sunday, you, you say, God, I need you to work in my finances. And then on Monday, you go and buy a brand new Corvette that you couldn't afford. That's two minds. I trust you, but I don't. I love you, and I sing these worship songs to you, but I'm not, I've got to, I've got to trust me on Monday. I'd also call it compartmentalizing. The great Tony Evans says that many of us have a mutual fund approach to God, where here's, here's my investment. When, when you have a mutual fund, you've, in, you've invested in the stock market, a mutual fund is a way for you to be able to spread out that investment. So if one thing goes bad, you don't lose everything. And he says a lot of times instead of, you know, like when you put money, all your money into one company and that fails, you lose all of it. When you spread it, you don't. And a lot of times what happens when you try to treat church that way, because this is a great investment strategy, but it doesn't work in our relationship with God, that if we're going to receive any help from God, we have to lean in with all of our confidence that I'm not going to say, God, I'm going to invest a little bit here in you, but I'm going to have to put the rest of it over here to trust me. Because if you mess up, I need to know that I'm good. And what he's asking for is all of our investments go into him. Our lives, our families, everything, our all. Because what he doesn't want us to do is pray and ask him, God, I'm, I'm praying in faith that this happens, but then there's this doubt because I'm going to take it into my own hands tomorrow. Like, Surrender. With God, it's full trust or it's nothing. James says that, hey, it's, it's only when you, you lean all of your confidence onto him that you will get any help from him, like when you fully trust. Because it's not that God doesn't want to help you, but sometimes you just get in the way. Y'all ever had somebody come and help you do a job around the house? Like we, we went to, on a Jamaica mission trip once and 
they had us building a sidewalk. And building a sidewalk, number one, they should not have had me building a sidewalk. That's not a good idea. But they don't have all the things that we have to build said sidewalk. You, the shovel was some piece of rock that they had made from like the prehistoric days and put a stick on it. And they were shoveling stuff out with buckets and taking it on down the thing. And I remember our teams up there like trying to dig. And then a Jamaican would come over and be like, hey, can I see that for one second? And then they would just take over. And then the next thing we know, our whole mission team sitting there watching them work because they have taken the whole project over. It's like, we came to help you build this sidewalk. And now we're, we, we are here watching you build the sidewalk. Why were they watching us build the sidewalk? We were not doing it right. Right? We were not doing it the way that they wanted it to be done. That's what James is saying. That we've been called to, to trust and to pray in faith without the doubt that God will do what God can do. And sometimes we can't get the job done because we, we're not doing it the way it needs to do. We're, we're deviating from the plan or we're getting in the way of what God wants to do to get it done right. So James says the only kind of faith that's going to get you through a severe trial is the only kind of faith that gets heaven's help is the faith that leans all of its weight trusting that God can do what God can do. So the question is, is that, is that worth doing? Trusting in that. Did you know that the Bible says, because Jesus repeatedly warned that there'll be times where it feels like God isn't responding. He said that it's going to feel that way. There's going to be moments where you feel that God's absent, that God's not speaking to you. But did you know that the Bible says that God collects things? He's a collector. Any collectors in here? Okay, let me put it this way in today's terms. Any hoarders in here? Right? The Bible says that God, there's two things he likes to hoard. Tears and prayers. Do you know this? He says in Psalm chapter 56, verse 8, You keep track of my sorrows. You have collected all of my tears in your bottle. And you have recorded each one in your book. Hey, y'all, every prayer that you pray, God puts it in a bowl. Every prayer. Well, God didn't answer it. Every prayer has been put in to the bowl. And there are these bowls in heaven that have, are collections of our prayers. Collections of our tears. Some of the prayers that you and I have prayed, a lot of times God answers our prayers now, but then there's times that he delays and we may pray prayers for 30 to 40 years to get an answer and, and we don't and you pray 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 and then years go by and God hasn't answered and sometimes you die without receiving that answer and you think God's ignored it but then you realize that he's kept every single one of those prayers because the final restoration of the earth when this is all said and done begins with God giving us yes to every prayer when it is all said and done to all the prayers that you and I and other saints have prayed over the years will be a yes. God collects those. God's not ever missed a single prayer that you've prayed. Let me ask you this question. When you pray, what facial expression do you think God's making when you pray? What facial expression does God make when you pray, when he hears from you? That's a good litmus test to find out how you think he views you. 
I'll tell you how I, I think he views you from just the scriptures. I, I think that when you pray, his facial expression is a smile. And you may say, that was the dumbest prayer I've ever prayed. It wasn't even a good prayer. It, there are things that your kids said when they were little, you didn't understand any of the yabba, 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 whatever they were saying, but it was the most beautiful sound in the world to you as parents, was it not? Their first word? And you fight because you want the first word to be mom and you want the first word to be dad, depending. And the, the, our first daughter, her first word was Savannah, which was our dog. Because we always, Savannah, stop. And she picked up on that. And so that was her first word. I believe the expression of our father is that when you pray, there's a smile on his face. But some of you, when you pray, feel like he just shuts down. He has a, oh, I don't have time for you. I'm annoyed at you. I don't, please just stop. Just, I got better things to do. Did you not see the news today? I got to go handle that. But God has this face of welcoming and loving and just zoned in to hear what you have to say. It's like being in the car and having the radio on and somebody start talking and you turn the radio down to engage into that conversation. But God turns all the noise down to hear you, to have that, that expression of bringing you in to hearing you. He has not missed a single prayer. He's not mad at you. He's not going to like throw fire and brimstone down on you. What he wants to do is to pull you in and show you that he's a loving father, that all these tears and all the pain that you've gone through, that he loves you. He cares. He's not uninterested. When you pray, I want you to see the God that's in James 1.5. Because seeing a God that will enable you to persevere through trials with patience and count it all joy is a God that you need to get to know. Because he wants to walk through you with that. And I know there are people in here right now who you're probably going through a trial. There's some pains. There's some despair. There's some, like, life kicked you right in the stomach and took the breath out of you over these last couple of months, over the last couple of days. And you don't know what to do. Can I just tell you, you're not here by accident this morning that God ordains the footsteps of man. You're here. And what he wants to tell you this morning is it doesn't matter what your trial is. It doesn't matter how severe it may be, how painful it may be. What he wants you to know is he is right here in the midst with his presence. And what he wants you to do is to, to get on that truck seat and slide back over to him so he can just look at you and smile and love you as a loving father and help you to heal from whatever that is so that you can walk through trial and count all joy. That's what he wants. And maybe this morning you need wisdom that James is talking about. And you're like, I, I'm going through things. I don't know how to deal with it. I'm, I'm holding it together. And by the way, when we hold it together, we eventually fall apart. And we're going to need somebody to put us back together. And the Creator is the one that does that. The command is for us to pray. Maybe you need the Spirit's resources to persevere. There's a God who is ready to give you that today. So as we, we get ready to to sing, Here, here's what I want to give you some challenges. And, and, it's going to, and I'm, I'm always going to push you a little bit more to be a little bit more bold. But for some of you, you're going through one of the hardest pains of your life right now. And some of you are about to walk through some pretty hard places. Because it's coming. It's going to happen. But for some of you, you've experienced a heartbreak, a hurt, a pain so great that you need some healing. And there are people in this room that want to pray for that healing for you and love you through that, whatever it is you're going through. 
For some of you, you're in the midst of these things and you need wisdom. You don't, you don't know what to do. Man, I love it that the Bible says if we'll ask the Holy Spirit, He'll give us what we need. God wants to give us what I need. Why don't we just ask today for God to heal with no doubt, with no separation of mind, that I'm trusting that whatever I believe God on Sunday is going to be God on Monday. It's going to be God on Tuesday, God on Wednesday, God on Thursday, God on Friday, and I'm going to come back, right back into this place on Sunday. I'm going to worship a little louder. I'm going to be a little bit more demonstrative in, in my approach towards God because I've seen Him. I've seen His facial expression. So I'm going to leave here next Sunday, and I'm going to go do the same thing. And every time I come back in here, I'm going to trust a little bit more to be able to count it all joy. Everybody, anybody with me on that? That's the God that we serve. So whatever it is, you are never designed to carry a burden. Jesus will take that from you. Cast all your cares on Him because He cares for you. That's the Father that I see. So as we sing and worship, I want you to close your eyes and I want you to see God for who He is. I want you to look and see what expression it is. And see if today if it hasn't changed for you. Maybe it's not a God that has this mean look on His face. But it's a God with a massive smile off because today He got to hear from His children. So Father, I thank You so much today. We live in a world of pain. You know that. This is not the way you designed this. Everything was great in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. But God, we failed. And sin has entered. And life has become complicated. Relationships have become complicated. God, it, we, we've just been inundated. Especially over these last few years, just inundated with uncertainty. With the things around us, but we have certainty in you. And I just pray today, God, that you will you will do what you can do and you can heal hearts in this place. There are people that are walking through tragedies today, that are walking through pains today. That I pray that they will lift their eyes to the heavens and see you. That you're a God that loves them, cares, and wants to walk them through whatever it is that they're going through, that they're not by themselves and you are not silent. I pray today they would take those steps to move closer to you. Pray for those that are in the middle of things and trying to gain wisdom. God, wisdom comes from you. I just pray that we would ask without any doubt in our hearts that you would. May we pray. May we have a new perspective. And God, may we persevere. And I pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Let's stand and sing this morning.